everybody. Welcome back to Grays Lake Central's Reality Check, where we ask teachers to pause, reflect, and try something. My name is Victoria Loeb, and I'm here with Shana Piggott. Hello. Uh, Grays Lake Central District 120, or Grays Lake District 127's Department Chair of EL and Equity. That was a really long title. Um, Gabrielle Devlin. Hello. Thank you. And English teacher and ESL teacher, Chelsea Hernandez. Hello. All right, so I thought we would get started by just getting to know each of you a little bit. Let's start with Gabrielle. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the path um, that you took to the position that you're in? Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty long story. I mean, my first, my first job uh, was student teaching and I did it in Spain. And that's when I realized that I wasn't just teaching science or social studies, I was teaching English as well as the content. And then ever since then, I, it's been an interest of mine, a passion of mine. Most of my experience is an elementary school setting. So I started actually in Grace Lake, um, D46. My first job was in at Meadowview. So I was right around the corner um, from where I work now, which is so fun to come back to the community. Um, I taught in Venezuela, third grade, and I really learned so much in that experience about being the other, being in context where people are speaking Spanish and I don't exactly understand what's going on. And that has been really instrumental in helping me have empathy for how the parents feel and how, for how the students feel. I taught in Waukegan for a couple of years, and then I had a big long stretch in Palatine. And so the best part about my Palatine experience is that it was really diverse. I worked with, you know, students from 17 different languages, um, and culturally, it was diverse as well. Like we'd have a small group and there'd be six different religions that would be represented in a small group. And all of these things have kind of culminated towards me going to get a couple masters in linguistics and leadership. And now I'm getting my diversity, um, doctorate in diversity, because I really want to explore and understand how I can help English learners have the success that they need and deserve. Um, to be, you know, to further their life, their careers, their futures. And I'm so happy to join Grace Lake so that I can work with the students here and support the teachers and all the amazing work that's already in place. So your path literally led you around the world. Literally. And every step along the way, I made mistakes. I learned, I grew, and every experience has improved me. And so I really, um, I'm happy to learn and grow here and I'll probably make some mistakes too, but um, it's a culmination event for me. Okay. It's all the way, all the way. That's excellent. Um, Chelsea, how about you? Tell us a little bit about your path working with our EL population. Sure, so I started out as an English teacher in actually my old high school back in Richmond, Texas. And then um, when my husband and I moved up to Waukegan, Illinois, we were working in a culturally diverse church and I was started as a teacher's aide in Lake Forest and then um, moved to being the permanent sub for uh, the previous ESL teacher. And within the first week or so, I was like, I want this job. I love this job. Um, I love teaching these students and this is really fun. Um, I didn't have my endorsement at the time, so I was hired with the agreement that I would be you know, at school at the same time. Um, and I also had an experience before of language learning. So before my husband and I got married, I was in a nine month immersion program on the border of Texas and Mexico. 
there were all, all kinds of students from all over Latin America. My roommate just spoke Spanish. I was just immersed. So I also, that experience of not understanding anything and having to learn, I think prepared me to have empathy with students and to understand what it's like to feel like you're speaking like a baby because you can't communicate yourself uh, the way you want to in the, in the target language. So, and I've been here um, ever since. That's another really interesting, interesting story. Um, my next question kind of came about as I was writing these questions and trying to like work my way into the language to even come up with questions. So I thought we would start with some basic terminology. What are a couple of different terms that we should probably know as educators? Who wants to jump in here? I think I'm gonna jump in with a really basic one. So when we say EL, it means an English learner, but the around the curve, like the, the trend now is to begin to call these students multilingual students. So that's some really basic terminology that's evolving. And if you're, if you get annoyed about it, I just wanna remind you, we're just keeping improving our practice and saying multilingual honors and respect that they already are fully literate and lingual in their first language and just lets us know that that student has um, a wealth of knowledge that can really support um, their learning. Let me just start editing some of my questions later on as you guys keep talking then. All right. Um, what are some other terms we should we should know? I think one that comes up in the classroom a lot is this term uh, effective filter. So a definition for that, I'm pulling this from Coloring Colorado, which is a great website, lots of resources for teachers, but it defines this as a negative feeling such as lack of motivation, lack of self-confidence and learning anxiety that act as kind of this filter to hinder and obstruct language learning. So it's basically the idea that if you feel nervous, upset, um, on edge, your brain actually kind of goes on lockdown and you can't process things. Um, so it's really important as a teacher of multilingual students that we try to remove that effective filter, making them feel at home, comfortable, at ease is so important for their, not only their language learning, but their ability to even be able to receive the content and to understand what's being taught. I yeah, I, I was thinking about another um, kind of concept that I wanted to share, but I don't know if it's basic terminology, but I still would like to put it out there because for language learning, it's really, it really is the basis of good practice. And that's to have content objectives and language objectives. And everyone gets content objectives. It's pretty much like, what are they going to learn? Um, so we're just, when we talk about a language learner, we have to think about how they will demonstrate what they've learned and with the language that they require in order to be a success. And so if you start to think about when you're working with a, a multilingual student, start to think about how they're gonna show it. And then you can really decide what to teach and decide what to let go of. Cause sometimes, you know, you wanna teach every teachable moment and there's just too much in English. Like you can't teach everything every day, but if you know today's objective is I'm gonna teach this terminology or that form, it really helps you focus. And that way you can do that one thing really well, and then they'll be more successful at that one thing. Um, if you had to like pin down your philosophy regarding EL education or regarding multilingual learners, how would you describe your philosophy? What do you believe about educating multilingual students? I think I already alluded to this. My perspective is 
an asset perspective versus a deficit model. And I really deeply believe that the students bring to us a wealth of experiences, cultural background, linguistic strengths that we can use to make connections to new material. And the, the difficult thing with an English learner is sometimes you don't know what that background is. So you aren't able to really leverage it as an asset. And that goes back to what Chelsea was saying, building those relationships, helping them feel safe so they'll open up. And then once you get that trusting relationship, you can learn like, oh my gosh, this, this kid who lived on a farm in such and such country actually knows a ton about ecology and the life cycle. And you know they have different experiences that you can really leverage, right? To make it easier to do the work if you connect it to something they already know. And so just really valuing who they are as they walk through the door um, and, and, and focusing on what they bring, not what they're lacking. I think that would be a deep philosophical perspective that I, that I use. One example, Gabrielle, when you said that it comes to mind was hearing a student at a very basic English level um, from Honduras describing how she would go from like a chicken that was recently killed to plucking it and to like slicing it into the portions to cooking it. And I was like, wow, you know, I buy mine packaged in cellophane. I have no idea what that world is like, but I was just really, it was such an interesting story and she was able to articulate it. So um, I think through teaching ESL that is a smaller classroom, usually I just, I see uh, one thing that I, I've always um, felt deeply about is this idea of learning happening through collaboration. So students needing to work together to negotiate meaning. Um, when they collaborate, when they you know talk to somebody else, they're, they're allowed to kind of clarify meaning. They can build off the ideas of a peer. They can solidify their own um, understanding and they can also uncover misconceptions. So something as cliche as, you know, like um, a share and pair, you know, turn to your neighbor and tell them what you just heard or what you understand is actually really important for an ESL student because they might have some ideas and they kind of think, you know, or they might not have the language to vocalize those ideas, but when they're allowed to talk with a peer or listen to a peer, it really helps, um, you know, links and bounds in their learning. Excellent. So, um, here at Reality Check, we also like teachers to walk away with something they can begin to implement tomorrow. So do you have any go-to strategies for our listeners that would help support our multilingual students? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the quickest, the easiest way is to find a video. Like whatever you're teaching, just YouTube that and find out if someone has put together a video or a portion of a video because once you can see it visually, you can connect, you've got some schema, you've got some understanding to build off of. And I mean, more and more, we've got you know pictures, galleries, the world is available to us. So anything that you can show them visually before you begin a lesson is hugely uh, supportive to whatever the learning might entail afterwards. Um, and if you're one of the science team, like a demonstration or a video of a demonstration, is like just the most, the simplest way to make it more accessible before you, before you begin. Mm -hmm. There's right. so much stuff out there we can pull from for all of that. Yeah. 
another thing that in a, in a way with e-learning, it's helpful because we all have our agendas um, on, you know, so students can clearly follow what's coming. Um, but if, if you at the beginning of the class just state really clearly, we're gonna do this and then this and this, because of this, um, a, a student is more easily able to follow along and things don't kind of come as surprises. So if you just state very black and white, very clearly what you're gonna be doing, that helps them anticipate and it helps them follow along. Yeah, and the last thing I would say, I think Chelsea, you can probably speak to this more because you're doing it every day with your students, is it's back to what she said about collaboration. Um, to build in structure to that collaboration is they will have more success. And so like the four of us all speak English, we can just like bounce off each other's ideas. But for an English learner, they're gonna need a little more support on what success will look like in a collaboration time. And so there's a couple ways to do this. I mean, I, I know Chelsea's more of an expert at this. So why don't you share some of the things that are working for you? Sure, so something to do um, before you know putting them in groups is to give them specific roles and responsibilities. So everyone's accountable for something different and they're all very clear on what they need to do before they get in that breakout room. Um, sentence starters are also helpful. You know, we just finished a book in freshman English and in order to help them discuss the book, I gave them different you know, phrases like something I felt was because, and then they just put their little sticky note. Um, something I learned was just to give them some words to help get them started. And then that accountability to complete the work. So whether you're having them collaborate on a Google slide, they have something typed to show what they're speaking about, that accountability can help you know, push them to actually contribute and make that collaborative experience um, more successful. Or just even maybe putting them in pairs. Um, I know I've done more groups of three or four, but the other day it occurred to me, well, let's just, you know, work on this formative assessment in pairs and, you know, tell your partner really clearly from the beginning, I would like to work alone or let's talk about it, but don't just sit in an awkward silence. So I try to kind of think of barriers, you know, before they could happen in those breakout rooms and try to just clear it out. Like don't sit in silence. Somebody say something, either I'm not going to be talking to you because I prefer to work alone or uh, let's, let's talk and let's do this together. So I think we need to give them opportunities um, for sure, even though it's e-learning. Well, I love that suggestion of having like a role or maybe like a, a predetermined rotation of like who's going to talk when, right? Like I know my kids have even expressed that awkwardness of like going into a room and no one saying anything and like they're not even sure what they're supposed to do. And then you have to wait for the teacher to come in and guide that. And so like anything that can be kind of predetermined, those sentence starters, like get them going to like build the relationships with each other could be really positive, I think, for for those students and, and really all of our students. So I think that's a great idea. I use a quick non-volunteerism strategy called somebody who. And it's somebody who's wearing blue, somebody who has, you know, um, have glasses on and it's a way to raise the stakes. So they, they don't know who I'm going to say, somebody who, so it might be them. And that helps them be more prepared um, that they might be accountable. And so that's something that I like to try. And it also is less like, um, like, oh, Ms. Devlin said, it's more like, oh, no, you just happen to be wearing blue jeans. You have to speak now. Um, so that's something that I've tried to keep it fresh, but also to keep accountability high for language learners in participation, because otherwise they would just be content to be quiet some days. Right. Um, I mean, I love those strategies. I love them for our multilingual learners. I love them for all of our learners um, coming from a, a co-taught classroom, um, especially. 
Um, I also love that this podcast gives this platform to our colleagues who are doing some pretty amazing things. Um, I love that Shane and I, every time we sit down with people, we're learning a lot. Um, so we thank you both for joining us today. So thank you, Gabrielle, and thank you, Chelsea. Um, thank you for joining us and thank you for all the work that you do for our students. Join us next episode as we talk with Social Studies Department Chair Jason Janzik about having difficult conversations in the classroom. In the meantime, what will you do to try something? Okay.